Hello, and welcome to Notes from the Conservatory, a podcast from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. I'm your host, Richard Cooper. This podcast chronicles conversations and interviews with our faculty, students, and guest artists. Today, we have a conversation between Dr. David Anglin and one of our former students, Simon Baird. Dr. Anglin attended the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. He holds an MFA degree in performance practices from UCLA and a DMA in keyboard collaborative arts from USC. He has taught at UC Santa Barbara and the USC Thornton School of Music, and he was the coordinator for the opera program at the Sydney Conservatory of Music. Here at CSULB, he heads our opera institute, teaches the diction and repertory curriculum, as well as seminars in history and musicology. Simon Baird graduated in 2013. After receiving his master's degree from the College Conservatory of Music in Cincinnati, Simon spent a year teaching and performing in Finland as part of his Fulbright scholarship. And now, here is Dr. David Englund and Simon Baird. I'm David Anglin, Associate Director of Opera and Vocal Studies here at the Bob Cole Conservatory, and we're talking today with Simon Baird, who is here to do a recital this week. He was an undergraduate with us, received his Bachelor of Music degree in voice, having taken some journeys through jazz, a lot of choir singing, various things we'll talk about. Uh, He went on to the Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, where he got a master's degree, and he's returned from a year in Finland as a Fulbright scholar. So, Simon, welcome back. Thank you, it's great to be here. We're here to just talk, and it occurs to me that the audience is possibly your colleagues, your younger colleagues, who would be interested in knowing what you did when you left. Mm-hmm. So first, how would you compare your experience as an undergrad in a small school to CCM, big school? Mm-hmm. Uh, the College Conservatory of Music is CCM. It's the acronym for the music school at University of Cincinnati. Well, CCM definitely changes the level of attention. There are all kinds of agents and directors and quite famous people actually who come to CCM to see CCM singers and to audition CCM singers. In fact, outside of the big cities, I think Cincinnati is probably the smallest city that has the highest concentration of young artist auditions. So there's there's more pressure in, in going to Cincinnati, but also Cincinnati is still not the professional world and there's only increasing competition and increasing pressure as you go. So I w- what I would say about starting at some place like Long Beach is um, it, it gave me a chance to feel like I, I was getting some attention when I actually didn't know at all what I was talking about. And you spent some time in jazz or you started here with an interest in jazz. Right? Yeah. Is that what you... That's why I to came do? to Cal State Long Beach. I came because I was a fan of Pacific Standard Time, the premier vocal jazz ensemble, like the music department here. I sang jazz in high school. I wanted to study with Christine Guter, the director of Pacific Standard Time, as well as the head of vocal jazz. And so I started that route and then was slowly taken over to the dark side of <laughs> classical singing. My teacher, Marvali Kariaga, introduced me actually to my very first art songs and arias. I did not know what an aria or even an opera was when I arrived here uh, at 18 years old. I got so much from Cal State Long Beach. I was in vocal jazz ensembles, I was in choirs, I was in operas. 
many of these things I did way before I was actually ready or prepared. But if you are thrown into a situation, you will either succeed or you won't succeed. And not succeeding and succeeding are both valuable learning experiences. And I was fortunate enough to uh, have many different chances here at Cal State Long Beach. What Cal State Long Beach is good for is giving opportunities to people who would not necessarily get them at a big name conservatory. For example, at CCM, they don't take people that they don't want to use, and still, there are lots of people that don't get used at CCM. How many singers are there? There are about 20 undergraduate singers. There are, depending on the class sizes, about anywhere between 30 to at its peak, around 60 masters so singers. Exactly the opposite of what we do. Right. There are about eight doctoral students and about 16 um, artist diploma students at any given time, uh, with fluctuations, of course. Undergraduates sing an undergraduate opera at CCM that was previously unsupported. Actually, all the uh, productions here at Cal State Long Beach are unsupported. Yeah. Unsupported as in no one tells us when to go on and off stage. We don't have stage managers in every rehearsal. We don't have a conductor in every rehearsal. We have to take down the stage ourselves. These staging notes. No, no, no. no. I, I mean reconstructing the pit after oh, the show is over. <laughs> yeah, uh, we act as crew. We uh, find costumes for things. At CCM, there is an entire drama department that has students that do that. They are they build their own sets. We have a student, usually a graduate student, as a, a stage manager, and then two assistant stage managers who stand in the wings and tell you when to go on stage and make sure you have your prop and stuff. That's a good thing. That is a good thing, although what I learned from Cal State Long Beach, and it's a valuable lesson, is you're not always gonna have that. And it's not their fault when you don't go on. And it's not their fault fault when you don't go on. And it's also important to know when you go on, what prop you need, what costume you're wearing at any given time. These are things that I had to know at Cal State Long Beach because the show would collapse if I didn't go on stage. (laughs) No one was telling me when to go, I just had to go and the show would stop if I didn't. And so, all that being said, Cal State Long Beach is a great place to fumble through the beginnings of what opera is and what jazz is and what choir can be. And then, once you fumble through those first steps, to actually get to a point where you're making quite good music, which is kind of the magic of Cal State Long Beach. I haven't really figured it out yet, but uh, the inexperience on stage here is astounding, but the level of performance and production is also equally as astounding. You know, I think every kid has a different path. Uh, Mine was not a genetic predisposition for music. I actually started music playing piano when I was a kid. My parents put me in piano lessons, but it was never a priority for me. I'm glad that I have it because now I can play a little bit, but The real serious love of it started in choir in elementary school through my public elementary school, just singing uh, with uh, Jim Petrie, actually, who still is one of the well-known elementary school uh, music teachers in Long Beach. I started singing in choir there. I continued into middle school and then high school. And actually, my parents are big lovers of jazz. 
And so that's where the uh, jazz came in. I've been exposed to lots and lots of jazz from home, not so much classical music. And I had some catching up to do when I got to college, but the love of jazz kind of came from my parents and the, the love of music and choir kind of led me to it. And did the jazz chops as a singer help you? Absolutely. In what way? Absolutely. I could give you how it's helped me at every single point in time. When I was here at Cal State Long Beach, it helped me participate in far too many ensembles. It has continued at CCM, learning new music and learning hard music, and also just the accuracy that is practiced in vocal jazz, and especially a vocal jazz ensemble like Pacific Standard Time, and the attention to detail is extremely important in classical music as well. And most of all, most importantly, in the professional world, I can only make as much money as I can physically learn the music. And all of the musicianship skills that I have and have acquired are allowing me to take more gigs, to make more money, and to not have to work at Starbucks. There's absolutely (laughs) nothing wrong with it, but I am trying to avoid it as long as possible. (laughs) Let's jump to post-grad. You finished your master's degree. Mm -hmm. You applied for a Fulbright. What was the Fulbright called? Well, my Fulbright project was called Laulule, which is two song. It's uh, a Finnish word. It was a Finnish and American song exchange. This is your invention? This was my project, and I applied for a research study grant, which is pretty much the only grant that's uh, given to students or recent students. The rest of the grants are usually given to scholars who have significant background in education. Were you there as a student? Did you attend an institution there, or did you...? I did not. I kind of did a design-your-own Fulbright which I don't know how common it is outside of Finland, but it's not very common inside of Finland. Of all the other research study grantees who were around my age, most of them were doing a master's in Finland, so they were starting their first year, and a few others were doing research at an institution, and one other was doing a specific uh, wood study program. She was an architect. So everyone had a program they were in. Actually, a a friend of mine named uh, Elisa Repo, she was a Fulbrighter in the United States, and we would go get coffee pretty much every day because I made my own schedule. And um, Elisa would say, like, when people ask you what you do for your Fulbright, you have to answer, like, oh, you know, get coffee and walk around, enjoy the weather drink a beer. That's my Fulbright project. <laughs> but, so it uh, wasn't as structured as some of the others. Correct. Yeah, it was, it was quite free, which I loved. It was a dream come true. And tell us about this. This relates to the recital you're doing on Thursday, right? You, yeah. You, you did a program of American songs and took it on the road. Right. When I was concocting my Fulbright project over, in Cin- coffee. over coffee in Cincinnati in the United States, you know, everybody tells you your Fulbright project's going to change. So just write what you want to do. You know, your wildest dreams, your your anything that you want to do, write it and say say you're going to do it and say how you're going to do it. You'll get there and it's going to change. You know, things change, opportunities come that that don't make it work out. That didn't happen for me. <laughs> I wrote my wildest dreams of exactly what I wanted to do, and it just happened. <laughs> I, I have no idea how it happened. 
actually, I do know how it happened. I, I was in the right place at the right time in, in many different situations. But early on, I was paired together with a young pianist named Joel Papinoya, a Finnish pianist who had just finished his master's at the Spelius Academy. And he has an interest in new, interesting music. And so uh, we rehearsed a few times. He loved the music. And so basically we were a lead duo for the rest of my time there. We sang this recital, uh, Musical Madeleine. Um, we sang it eight times, I believe, in Finland, throughout different cities in southern Finland. We performed at the U.S. Embassy twice. We did concerts at museums all over the place. We did lectures on new American music because my pro project was focused on um, living American composers. And so Yoel and I basically made a year of touring and song and we even uh, sang cocktail parties for a, a business called Blanmeca. It's a big dentistry supplier. And, and this, the itinerary and the, the, the gigs basically were arranged because you had a Fulbright or did you have to? No, Fulbright did absolutely nothing. Fulbright in Finland, which is, is great and also uh, makes it difficult, is they, they are very hands-off. You go there, you set up the bank account and you get a transfer of money into your account every month and they say, go be free and do what you want to do. And so I did. So I'm going to back yeah. up a bit because you, you, you did this program of living American composers, mm -hmm. which you might have done anywhere. Right. So why Finland? That's a good question. When I was making my project, it had to do with an interest in Finnish music, which this program also includes a few Finnish songs. And I learned tons and tons of Finnish music while I was there. But after I got there and discovered what a ripe market it is for American music, I backtracked and made another reason why I should do American music. And that is, in Finland, everybody speaks English super well, except, except in some small towns and, and some older people, but their English and level of English comprehension and level of English speaking is world-class, amazing. You can easily live there for your entire life and never speak a word of Finnish. And you, you, you have the impression that, that this recital worked because of that. Yeah, absolutely. The music in this recital is very text-driven. It's text-heavy. It would not work quite as well on an audience that does not understand English. There was no requirements for coming to see the recitals, and obviously there were some, some older people who didn't speak English so well. But especially the students, whose English level is quite high, And this is the other reason why this was such a ripe market, is that there are no Americans in music in Finland. And by no Americans, I mean there are one or two. And most of them have lived there for so many years that they don't really keep in touch with the living American composers and what's going on in the United States. So you have this market where students speak English very, very well. They're definitely afraid of singing in English because there's no native speakers to help them sing and English is a difficult language to sing but at the same time they're all singing German and French and and not as much French actually but mostly German and obviously Italian and their audiences don't understand them and this is going on a, a bigger soapbox for me but I think that's part of why 
art song is dying is because people are singing these museum pieces that people don't understand and when they go to a concert they feel like they're being sung at or lectured at and they have to read this poetry like in three seconds and then look up and try and figure out what the song's about rather than going to what these songs were intended as going to a concert and just looking at someone perform a song and knowing what it's about in the moment and so that's why I think Finland is ripe for American art song and why they accepted it and ate it up. Did this affect your career goals? Did you have an aspiration to sing standard rep and now this has changed that? Or are you going to do both? I have always loved new music and especially music in English. And I think that might go back to my jazz roots. But this was the first time that I got to do everything exactly how I wanted to do it and it feels really good <laughs> and I actually got paid for it this time and and made it worth my while which may not always be the case but um, it did tell me about who I am as an artist I, I say this and and hypocritically I'm going to audition for all of the young artist programs but I don't think that I am the best candidate for a long-term young artist program or for these programs which are fantastic for some people they give them a track and a, 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 a solid place to stand on to start their career but artistically those things are not as interesting to me and this is kind of the medium that I like for my own artistic expression the art song recital for a new age if if you will do you think the path you're taking is a reflection of a change in things that if you want to succeed you need to make Make it work for yourself? Absolutely. One thing that you do learn from going to CCM is this young artist kind of circle. And there are many young artist programs in the country, but everyone auditions for the same 10 or 15 that are paid or that you don't have to pay for or that you get good opportunities for. And if you look at who is on these young artists' rosters, they're the same people in all the different programs. They do one for two years, and then they do another for two years, and then they do another for two years. They're the same kind of singers that appeal to these young artist programs are singing in all of them and switching places around. And that's not to detriment those singers. They're fantastic singers, and there's a reason they're being picked for those programs. But there are many, many more singers, both good, inexperienced, not so good, out there who have something that they can do and that they can say and it's important if they want to continue in this career that they have to make those opportunities themselves. Opera industry is changing though too, right? Yes. Um, opera has been considered for centuries as sort of elite art form and increasingly the doors are opening, everyone's welcome, mm -hmm. uh, productions are changing, you see more modern um, sort of subjects. Yeah. Um, do you think the traditions are dying? That to look for, say, a, a Verdi baritone these days, is that <laughs> getting harder and harder? You know, I would say that singing today is still very, very good. The singers are very, very good. There's far too many of them, as I assume there always have been. But this is a product of a surge in music conservatories, which is fantastic. People can come and have an, a music education just about anywhere in the country. But at a certain point, 
there are too many of us and having a music education is great but a very very small portion of people are going to get those jobs you know if everyone wants to work at the Met for example no one's gonna work at the Met because they hire foreign singers mostly but like me who doesn't feel that I fit in these young artist programs so well there are these people who feel they don't necessarily fit into that mold and are starting their own small opera company and small venue performance in opera and recital is much much easier to sell and much much easier to digest for a listener who's never seen an opera before i think that in a big big hall like the met or like music hall in cincinnati the the emotion is diffused among the thousands of people and the spectacle is amazing and the athleticism that it takes to fill a room that size is one of a kind. It's, a, it's amazing, but I like to see people's faces. I like to see what they're talking about on their face. And you can't do that from just about any seat on the Metropolitan Opera stage. You can in the movie theaters, but that's a different uh, At least the issue entirely. The venues you sang in, in Finland were probably smaller, right? Quite small, yes. Did you have contact with Finnish singers? Did you get a sense of comparison between your training and their training? Yeah, I had quite a bit of contact with Finnish singers. I was actually teaching American song at Metropolia University, which is, they call it a University of Applied Sciences. They're supposed to be uh, more job training rather than traditional so university. So you're teaching singing. They are singing they, they sing with their pianist, uh, they have a, a duo, and they sing American art song, and I coach them on their English, on their American style. I would say the voice training here in the United States is the best in the world. The vocal technique that comes out of singers in the United States, I don't hear almost anywhere else I've been. And American singers are regarded as being the most versatile as well, right? They need to sing yes. in all these languages, whereas... Correct. Do the Europeans, does a, a, a Finn sing... Finns sing German, Italian, French, English, all those languages are. Finns sing more than Germans and then uh, French, and then Italian. I'd say just about everybody sings in German. Finnish and Swedish are both official national languages of Finland, and a significant portion of their art song repertoire is written in Swedish. So almost all Finnish singers sing very well in Finnish and Swedish, and they also all sing in German and usually in Italian as well. They sing in French, not as much. I'd say in the United States it's the same way. Um, is that a style issue or language? Style, language. They don't take to the French Yeah, it's, I think that um, the Finnish style is definitely more German influenced, right. at least in the early Romantic music. But also the Finnish singers and the Finnish coaches that go and study in Europe go to Germany. They don't go to France. So almost all of the singers, the pianists that I worked with had studied or sung in Germany at some point in time. They were all fluent in German, and so they teach German music. And the representatives from France are far fewer than the Germans. So let's just springboard from that. What's next? You have, this, you have your master's degree. You've finished. Mm -hmm. You've done this year, and now you're in that neverland of having finished academic work, spent some time in Europe, how do you navigate those years before a career starts? You perhaps do a young artist program, apply for grants to do more of the same that you've just done. 
Yeah. Going to stay in Cincinnati. Staying in Cincinnati, yeah. I highly recommend Cincinnati to any singers. The city is extremely cheap, and there are tons of auditions that come through. And it's also a good city to live in. There's plenty to do. I will continue uh, to work with Ken Shaw, who was my teacher at CCM. It's difficult to plan in this career. (laughs) I know what I will continue to do on my own, and that's this kind of creative format recitals. There's absolutely no money in that. You literally are just trying to break even. So what you'll do is look at what a calendar of an audition season and mm-hmm. look at the programs that you might want to consider, prepare the standard rep. Mm-hmm. I am going to audition for all kinds of young artist programs this year. So how do you balance what sounds to me what you're looking to do is be creative, be an individual, mm-hmm. invent your own way, and yet you're going to stand there and sing Figaro's aria from the Barber of Seville and... That's... Absolutely correct. It's this total hypocrisy, right? <laughs> I both want artistic control and I want someone to, to you know, hire you. Hire me, exactly. Tell you what to do. Something I wanted to talk about too, when I mentioned tradition, I mean, th- there is a technique, there are things, there are objective ways to succeed, pronunciation, all of those things. And mm-hmm. then there is that aspect that everyone's looking for, which is you as an individual. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that? Language. You as an individual will always be you. Finding ways to get all the other stuff out of the way is what's important. Um, For example, body tension. Get your body figured out so you know how it works and so you can be yourself in front of a group of people. That's number one. Get your body under control. This is technique, generally speaking. This is Have your technique, technique in, order. In, in order to be yourself. So they're totally connected. Second, and then this is the place that many people never get to, is language. Language has to be so good. So, so, so good. I would say that uh, American singers pronounce things better than a lot of the rest of the world, but they don't necessarily sing them better because they don't know what the words mean. And when I say they don't know what the words mean, they probably translated it. If you ask them what that word means, they can tell you what it means, but they don't want know what it means. I consider myself a linguist. I consider myself very experienced in many languages. And it takes me still, even a language that I've studied for years, it takes me exponentially more hours to get a piece in French or in Finnish or in uh, German up to the level it needs to be as compared with a piece in English. It just takes that much more time to know and to have an emotional connection with the words. Not just sounds, not just this word means this. It has to be that thing. Body and language are the two technical things that have turned my singing into more than just stand and sing, I suppose. I have some questions. What's a good colleague? A good colleague is someone that you feel comfortable talking to and someone that you are not afraid to confront with a problem, but also someone that is diplomatic enough to tell you their own problems without upsetting you. What makes you a good colleague? What walk, makes me walk a good into colleague? a rehearsal and your duties are well, know your place. Know your place. That's number one. If you walk into an opera rehearsal, it's not your rehearsal. You shut up and be quiet. 
if you walk into a rehearsal with a pianist, that's both of your rehearsals. It's a conversation. If you walk into a choir rehearsal, that's not your rehearsal. Sit down and shut up. It depends on the situation. Being in every kind of situation as a musician in order to make a living, you have to know which one you're in at any given time to be a good colleague. Good answer. I don't know why I have this quote written here. Just follow your passion. I'm glad you said that, actually. If you are listening to this and you are a musician who has chosen this stupid field for a career, <laughs> just know it is extremely difficult, you will make no money, and there is absolutely no sane reason to continue doing it. However, don't take that as a bitter comment, but take it as a freeing thing, because since you will not succeed no matter what you do, if you compare yourself to a Wall Street banker, you might as well do what makes you happy and you might as well do what you're interested in because you're not gonna make any more money or you're not gonna have any more success doing things that you're not interested in. So you might as well choose what you are interested in. And if you love it enough to stay in it regardless of all the things that are difficult in this career, you deserve to make yourself happy by doing what you want to do. And that's that. Tell us about the recital on Thursday night. You're doing an alumni recital here at the Bob Cole. Yes. It's so called? It's called Musical Madeleine. Um, it is a recital based on involuntary memory. Madeleine refers to uh, Marcel Proust's Madeleine, which triggers his memory of his childhood in Combray after he dips it in the tea. Madeleine and is a cookie. Uh, the Ma Madeleine is a cookie, yes. Um, so this recital aims to take musical themes that trigger memories. And actually, it's strongly influenced by the music of Charles Ives, who incorporated some of those ideas into his music with transformed uh, folk songs and with all kinds of American songs that are woven into legitimate art songs. And I did that also myself in a way, in a slightly bigger context. You told me there's, there are four sections to the program, yes? Correct. There are four vignettes, I call them. Uh, the first one is called Isa Yapoika, father and son. They both have all have Finnish and English names. Uh, the second is called Sota, which is war. The third is called uh, Mielenorauha, which is peace of mind. And the fourth is called Elaimet, which is animals. The songs center around those themes. Some of them are individual cycles without breaks, but they are all by different composers. I've put them together myself. And uh, one of the more interesting things that will be completely lost on an American audience in this recital is a folk song that I included called Tu Tu Tupakarulla. Uh, which really doesn't have any meaning. Tu tu could mean like come, come, or it could also mean like wind or many different things. And tupakarulla is uh, a um, like tobacco roll. But it's this nonsense cradle song for Finnish children. And Finland has a population, the entire country has a population of 5.5 million people. So basically, Los Angeles, or maybe even a little less, I'm not sure what the numbers are. But because there are so few people, it's possible for the entire country 
to have heard just about the same lullaby when they were children. And this is the lullaby. So I incorporated just the melody into this cycle, and that's the Madeleine. When they hear this melody... So they each have their own... They, they have their own memory of their mother singing it, of their grandmother singing it. I never sing the words. It's all done in the piano, so it's just the melody. It's kind of woven into these other songs in the Miel uh, en Rauha section. The, Are there Proust settings? No. no. I have yet to sing any Proust settings, and I'm sure some exist, but I, I am not familiar with any. Um, the recital is completely English, except for three songs in Finnish, um, in the Peace of Mind set. And this is you, a pianist. That's it. And an audience. Mm-hmm. In a hall that's small enough to see their faces. See my face. This has been Notes from the Conservatory from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. Thanks for listening.